No, actually, guys, I, while uh, you guys were filibustering there, I was just uh, uh, informed that I'm winning 3.4 to 2.2, so the fucking rebuild is off. <laughs> I'm in it to win it, motherfuckers. Chronicle concerning the mundane, weird, and maybe even sometimes dramatic happenings of a simple fantasy baseball league. This podcast captures the thoughts and musings of Greg, Joe, Jack, and Tim, four of the ten owners in the league. This is episode seven, entitled The Peter Pan Complex. Okay, welcome to episode seven of the Atlas Bacht podcast. Greg, good to see you. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Good to see you, my friends. Absolutely. Jack, it's good to have you back. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Joe, good to see you again, man. Howdy. Love the t-shirt. <laughs> Crossburg State. So wanted to take a look at last week, and uh, obviously it was a, it was you know, uh, a week that had quite a few blowouts and three of the four podcasters just got our clocks cleaned. So what'd you think? What'd you think of last week? And has it changed any of your predictions and, and thoughts about the season? Well, I'm not ready to say it's changed any predictions because I, for my, just my team has a, has a slew of notorious slow starters and I, I'm not ready to, to cave in just yet. Unlike Joe, I'm ready to cave in. You know, even if I weren't ready to cave in, my boys have caved in. And so, you know what? It's it's week five, and it's all about next year for me. So I'm looking forward to next year and being very competitive. Uh, be ready to field some trade offers uh, because there's uh, it's going to be a fire sale over the smoke. Are you, are you really just at one and three? Are you really at this point? going to change your strategy it's very uh pirates like isn't it well interestingly no it's not because i actually am, am operating from a basis of reality and uh, and i'm going to do my level best to assemble a team that will be competitive for next year i'm not going to go i'm not taking half measures the pirates take half measures they say they want to remain competitive they have face a um a belief that they can still be competitive. But if you look at their lineup, it is uh, ridiculous in its composition. I mean, the guys we have on the the DL for the Pirates, 
uh, and the players that they're running out there, it's insulting, in my opinion. And uh, unlike them, I'm going to make some moves that are um, definitive in their nature. They are going to be squarely focused on improving my team. It's just a question of in what time frame. You're, I mean, I know that it's been tough to get some points scored and uh, with your team. And you said last week you got veterans that aren't doing it and young guys that really aren't progressing. But when I take a look at your team, I mean, you still have Odor, you still have Abreu, you still have Buster Posey. You have Mazzara, who hasn't warmed up yet. You have Springer. That's an interesting guy. I guess I, I wonder what you think about Springer. Um, and then Jackie Bradley just hasn't shown the power. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and really, for me, though, my weak spot is uh, is being exposed with Adrian Beltre on the bench. You know, third base wasn't a strength to begin with, but I needed Beltre to be uh, contributing so that I could utilize Carpenter in the most efficient manner, mm -hmm. which is to be a middle infielder and or that super sub moving him around the diamond. And David Dahl, I was expecting uh, more from David Dahl frankly, and I needed one player to be able to put in there a DH uh, with some confidence, and, um, and Napoli's not the guy. And so uh, all that combined with the Cubs' slow start, um, I'm, I'm not really interested in um, prolonging this misery. Now, again, this is my interest in what I'd like to do. It's going to take um, some willing trade partners um, to start to put some some plans into place for next year, perhaps. But, you know, I, I, like I said at the beginning of the year, guys, this isn't out of left field for me. I wasn't thinking that I was going to take the division. Uh, this is, you know, worse, and it's a deeper rut than I thought I'd be in. But it's I'm, I'm not ill-prepared for this. And so looking at my minor leagues, I feel good about where those those guys are. And, you know, it's about aligning the window of these players. And I think that the bulk of my players will be hitting their stride in two years, two to three years. Yeah. I, in, you know, being in the champions division obviously makes a big difference too. When you think about the competition, certainly if you weren't in the same division as Jack's team, would you be thinking, well, you know, maybe I can kind of make it through this. No, I, I don't think I would. I mean, because, uh, you know, you look at the power rankings and I'm at the bottom and I can't say that I don't deserve to be at the bottom. And so it's, um, you know, I have good young players and I have a lot of good young minor league players. And I have some veterans who I'll probably keep as untouchable who are still well within their prime. But it's going to be about trading some players who, you know, maybe not uh, light the world on fire for my trading partner, but would be vet really valuable in the short term for teams making a run. And it's been a while since we've had so many different teams with the potential to make a run. And so I'm going to see what, uh, you know, what I've learned from Jack thus far in terms of the art of the trade. We'll see. Unlike these two guys, uh, I've decided that uh, all of a sudden I'm interested in um, just, uh, this, <laughs> this week will be that for you. I, uh, uh, again, usually, uh, you, you know, the beginning of the season, you're going to have your, your, either your ups or your downs. <clears throat> when it happens in the middle of the season for two or three weeks, a lot of the times you don't notice that you're either, um, you know, in a, a good situation and you'll drop a little bit or in a bad situation, you'll rise a little bit. Uh, when it happens at the beginning or 
end of the season that obviously it affects you a little bit more. So slow start the first couple weeks, and uh, the guys went out and dropped 60-plus uh, this week. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm spending money again and, uh, and picking up X-Rocky. Yeah, Jack, it, it, so far, highest points so far uh, in the league, uh, first four weeks. That was a resounding... Yeah. Uh, yes, Barely over two of the other teams. I think three three of the scores this week were three of the the higher scores for the year. Yeah, so I I mean obviously Mikey at four and 197 points total for forget the points against just the the points for uh, you just squeaked past him although you're not too far behind you're only what 13.9 points behind right now uh, and you know I'd really like to talk about Chris's team uh, because. It's interesting. Chris's team's gone through a little identity crisis. It was the St. Low Cash. Wait, it yeah. was it was the Water Taxis part of last week, and then it was the yeah. Stink Fist this yeah. at the end of last he, week. That's kind of, yeah, he tends to change his name um, based on success and or failure. Um, so if his name stays the same for a consistent amount of time, that means extremely mediocre at that point. He uh, he thwarts failure. Uh, by changing it, and uh, and as well uh, celebrates his uh, his victories. Chris's team is uh, is a lot like those pirates uh, that uh, Greg was talking about again. He, he uh, you know every year he, he comes in and and every year it looks like he should just stop and and give up and and uh, work on rebuilding. And <clears throat> every year his stubbornness uh, doesn't allow him to do so, and. Um, and then it just, you know, that's the thing about it. It just takes one or two uh, Ryan Zimmerman for, for a few weeks here and there along the, the way, and, and all of a sudden you're a, a competitive team. You slide into the playoffs, and uh, who knows what happens. So, um, yeah, he's uh, he, he's got a uh, an interesting squad there. Again, it seems like every year. And, and you know, back when the league started, when we started doing this years ago, <clears throat> I was always off at, uh, you know, one of the, the quicker guys to grab those uh, early season uh, surprises and, and uh, you know, the, uh, the the perennial Butch Husky uh, jokes throughout the league. And and I've found that, you know, as I've gotten older and, and played longer, um, that um, uh, my, my attitude towards it has changed. And, uh, and in general, when I see these guys come up and, and uh, Ryan Zimmerman, for instance, a, a perfect example, he's not going to keep that up. He's not going to. Well, I, I've done that now to the point where it's almost become a detriment to where I just I don't believe in anybody that hasn't done it before. And at some point, some guys do uh, do end up clicking. So I personally don't show a whole lot of interest in those guys. I haven't for quite some time and continue to see them picked up throughout the league and, and actually benefiting people. And, you know, again, is Zimmerman going to win him the championship? Who knows? Is he going to win him two or three games? And is that going to get him in the playoffs and get him a shot? You know, it's possible. But he, you know, obviously that's a great pickup. You talked about the uh, two weeks ago, you said that he really does a great job of in-season pickups. Yet again, did a great job. I will say that he and I have been talking trade for the last three weeks. Now, uh, at first, and, and they all involved involved Harper. Now, the, the last one he sent me was not anywhere near what needed to be, but it was an interesting conversation to, to, to be having via text with, uh, with Chris. Uh, and we kept talking about the B division, which is now, 
I should tell everybody, we now have the Griffey division, which is the champions mm. division. We have the Bonds division, which was the old A division. And we have the Maguire division, which was the old B division. So Griffey, Bonds, Maguire division. Obviously, as the Juices League, we would put Griffey up there in the champions division. So we, we kept talking about the Maguire division being interesting. And it's interesting in a more kind of car crash morbid way. Although Joe seemed pretty upbeat, so that's a good sign. Mm. But the Bonds division now, with Mikey at 4-0 and, and St. Locash Stinkfist at 3-1, and one, both scoring a ton of points, both competitive, um, and not going to have any challenge from Bad Street. But it'll be interesting over the next three weeks to see what happens in the Bonds division. The Maguire division, uh, you know, we talked about a mission commission being a rebuilding team, yet they're sitting there at 3-1, and one, and our darlings... Uh, Rude Metal and Dreamers are both at one and three. And, you know, from a points perspective, uh, pretty low. Now, we heard Dusty's take on it last week, and he was not, he seemed like more in the mindset of Greg in terms of maybe this just isn't our year. And we had a couple of key injuries early. We'll see. But Joe, you know, you're sitting in that division. I mean, that's a, that's a blood sport down there right now in the, in the McGuire division. You, and you sounded confident. What gives you that confidence? Well, I in in for my team personally, it's that I've got guys starting slow, which is nothing new for me. You know, I, I'm encouraged that McCutcheon is starting to hit. I've, I've started to realize that Pujols might finally be at the end of uh, his rope. Um, so I'll, I'll figure out what to do there. But when I look at the points against. For both of the teams that are one and three, they're about 20 points higher than the mission commit. Well, 15 points higher than the mission commission. So we're we're getting scored against, um, which tends to balance out. You look at the uh, the the power rankings, and I'm right in the middle with a horrible record. So it gives me some encouragement to know that that my I. I I'm still confident that my team is going to score more than it is. I think I have a decent pitching staff that uh, will will reap benefits as we go along. We'll see. We'll see. Joe, it sounds like not, you could uh, you know you could benefit from looking over my roster and making. I I am uh, going to do that. And the sales starts. Yeah. The, um, the the specifics that stood out for me this past week. Uh, uh, again, I, I, you know, I humbled LJ. Um, damn, that sounds good. It's been a while. Um, but um, one thing that did stand out in that game in particular was um, the Dodgers staff outscored the Blue Jays by four points. Um, again, wouldn't have got them the win by any means, but I mentioned during, you know, at the draft, he had taken the Blue Jays prior to the Dodgers. I think the Giants might have gone before them, too. I'm not sure. Um my middle infield got me 20 points. That's going to be huge if those guys can keep it up. Uh, Turner, obviously, uh, up-and-comer. Murphy, um, just the, the two of those guys are uh, a godsend for me. Um, Zimmerman, obviously, with an 11. Um, McCroy is killing you. Catchers suck this year, huh, guys? Um, I see uh, Greg, Diaz, Mazzara. And uh, your boy from Boston with a combined five for 57 for the win. Did Diaz play this week? Did, did oh, play? I miss Diaz? Yeah. Yeah, he played a little bit. Let me call it that. Um, 
You got um, uh, senior heads to know with a 7.4. Um, guy looks good, um, but got him in his outfield, and he's starting Healy at third base, getting him a 1.2. I just, you know, some things just don't. He's got Fowler on his bench with a, a 6 plus. Um, Mikey and the Dreamers, Brian again, an 8. Not a surprise. James, 6.8, keeping it up, whether the juice keeps up or not. And um, uh, the Dreamers, just uh, Freeman, Seeger, and, and nobody this week. And um, how about you guys see that day by Anthony Rendon? Yeah. 31-point day, I his, believe. Historic. One, one of three players in MLB history to, to have, um, what was it, 10 RBIs and six hits. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think up until that point, he had uh, like like a fraction of a point for the week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something to that game. Um, and then Judge is on fire. Um, he had 8.4 at a Chris Owings. Uh, last guy drafted this year. I think I mentioned that. And uh, and then Joe, um, you know, Myers and uh, and Trout and uh, Inciarte, who I think has already started damaging me this week, which I was a little surprised to see him in there. So those were the individual things that uh, stood out for me. So can I ask a question, guys? Um, you know, and obviously I have some tunnel vision based upon what my team is doing, but I was thinking about it this week. Are, are, are the ranks of the fantasy producers, are they proportionally replenished every year? So in other words, does every year see a 10 or 15% influx of new fantasy performers and a kind of an orderly outflow of 10 to 15% of the fantasy performers? Because from my perspective, it feels as if we're having kind of a, a, a shift in that there's a flurry of new influx of talent into MLB and, and, and similarly a flurry, a disproportionate um, amount of, you know, kind of established guys hitting the wall and leaving. Or is that just a Smokeland Pathetics phenomenon? I think that professional sports in general not just baseball, we are seeing a youth movement. We're seeing uh, kids that come up that are better physically fit, that understand how to weight train, that have been playing the sport for years. The instruction all the way down to the youth level is getting better and better and better. Uh, you know, The other sport I can think of is in hockey. We're seeing it in hockey. There's some really amazing, talented kids coming up in hockey. And so I think that that is actually playing out and playing in to what's happening. The other thing is, and we seem to have, I guess with the Juices League, this makes a lot of sense, but without performance-enhancing drugs, or at least without our knowledge of performance-enhancing drugs at this point, the older players can't sustain that youthful level of competition that they were able to do in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. They're following a normal human path. They're following the path that was established for years before. So we started to see all these records being broken in the late 90s of players that were over 35, over 37, over 40, really doing remarkable things. And especially from a power perspective, but also playing the number of games. So your counting stats are going up too. And I think what you're actually seeing, and it seems like you're picking up on this, Greg, this is in my opinion only, is what you're seeing is that that youth, that those younger players naturally have the HGH, naturally have the 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 youthful energy and ability to play 
what I think is the most grueling season of any professional sport. I think hockey is a close second, but I, I think that baseball is mentally and physically draining. And when you start to take out the chemical enhancements, I think it starts to play out. Well, and you're, I, I think it's also kind of what Dusty talked about last week, where there's so much knowledge out there of, of the, the, the training regimens, the, the nutrition that, that guys before this generation didn't have, and you're starting to see that come into fruition. Yeah, it's definitely the case with the younger guys. I, I haven't noticed the older guys falling off at a, a, a ridiculous rate by comparison per se. Um, but I have noticed, you know, guys not only coming into the league and becoming uh, fantasy valid because, the, you know, back in the day there was a time where you came into the, the majors and you weren't even considered fantasy valid for for a couple of years i mean when you know every now and then you'd get that that chipper jones or griffey or somebody along those lines but um otherwise you know, you, the guy would come in and slowly he'd be a good ball player um, but not that doesn't make good fantasy so um you know that it not only is it happening quicker in mlb but it's happening quicker with younger guys as well so very interesting week four in the juices league like your insights. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We now have, uh, we'll be getting uh, a call from the owner of the Omission Commission, Scotty Hill. And we're going to get a little more insight about who Scotty is, his connection to fantasy sports and Major League Baseball, and uh, his strategy with the Omission Commission. Okay, we're welcoming the owner of Omission Commission, Scotty. So, Scotty, welcome to Atlas Bacht, a podcast chronicling the Juiceless League. And we have uh, Greg, the owner of the Smoke Lympathetics. We have Joe, the owner of Reardon Metal. And we have Jack, who just dropped 61 points, by the way, beat your output by just a bit. Uh, uh, the owner of Jack's Wax Packs, also the founder of the original leagues, <laughs> uh, the original league uh, 23 years ago. Uh, Jack was the the one that brought me into this thing called fantasy baseball. So uh, welcome. We're really happy to have you. And I, I wanted to just um, ask you a little bit about uh, you and so that we can get to know you a little better. So first of all, um, who's your favorite team in MLB? I wore my O's hat. That's my that's my um, original. I have to say that the Orioles are my team. I, I was a Navy brat, so I grew up moving all over the country every two years. So I never had like this home turf that I'm tied to. But uh, settled in the D.C. area at the front end of high school and fell in love with the Orioles. I think it was like Cal Ripken era and just settled in. Love the O's. Uh, have struggled with them as many fans do with their with their team that never quite makes it. Um, and then, of course, a few years later, 
as I was living in the D.C. area, um, just down the street from us, the Nats opened up shops. So I became a Nats fan. I'm like, it's my National League team, right? Like, I can have one in each league. And then um, three years ago, we moved to the West Coast. So now I find myself rooting for the Mariners. We live in the Portland area, and I want my kids to have a team. And they were a little too young to, adopted, uh, to have adopted the Nats or the O's. So... I'm kind of carrying the, the Mariners banner in the house. Are you, are you feeling bad about that decision this season? No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm still rooting for the O's. I, I, so I'm, I'm talking conflicted. about I'm the Mariners conflicted. and their horrible oh, well. start. Yeah, well, we're used to it in the Northwest with our sports teams, right? We, we had a nice run with the Seahawks, but pretty much other than that, Northwest sports teams kind of stink. So uh, <laughs> the Blazers, come on, we can't. Almost always there, but never quite. And uh, except for the last couple of years, the Seahawks, same thing. So I, I'm, I like an underdog, which is another thing. I love. I guess it's because I grew up an O's fan. I like a team with potential um, that maybe someday will get it done. I'm not a Yankees fan. <laughs> uh, we do have a Yankees fan in the league, but he is definitely not on the call right now. For yeah, sure. and I have a lot of fun trying to draft all the young upcoming Yankees that I can. That's been one of my fun strategies um, as I've picking up players the last. Be, be careful times. with that, Scott. I uh, I've been a Phillies fan my whole life, and uh, then living in Central Florida, I uh, decided it was harmless to adopt the Rays a few years back as my American League team. And uh, lo and behold, the uh, the one time I find my Phillies in the uh, the World Series again, I uh, I had to root against them. So. Um, huh. It's, uh, you know. Yeah, that's terrible. Baseball's weird like that, isn't it? So uh, one of the things that people may not know about you is that uh, you were a hell of an athlete in high school and in college and actually uh, wrestled at Lehigh and you were an NCAA athlete. Would you play fantasy wrestling if there was such a thing? Wow, that's a great question. Um, no, because I don't really follow it the way I've just always followed baseball. Often, well, not always, but I, I don't know enough about wrestling, and um, it's not something I can share with it, with other people the way we can share with around baseball. So I would say that no, probably not. Do you mean Do you mean because even if you got back into it, you'd you'd fully understand. You'd say, okay, this guy's a stud. You know, you could see his moves, you could see what he was doing, but there just wouldn't be that big of a fan base that you could connect with other people on it. Who would yeah, I think that's. That's legit. Yeah, that's my response. So, um, interestingly enough, when when you think about uh, fantasy sports in a relationship to uh, an actual sport, right? So, fantasy sports just this you know this kind of side thing that that operates alongside it. Yet, what I found with fantasy baseball is it changed the way I perceive baseball. It changed the way I look at and enjoy Major League Baseball. Has that done the same thing for you? Has there been a difference? in how you approach Major League Baseball based on the fact that you own a, a fantasy baseball franchise, dynasty franchise? Absolutely. Um, so just thinking about my progression over the last maybe 10 years, I think I really followed baseball um, at a deeper level when I was in my 20s and 30s, early 30s. And then, as you know, Tim, I, I didn't get married until I was 40 and started – a family. And, and so I really got away from baseball. And so one of the things that um, I really enjoyed the last few seasons is, is kind of coming back and re, uh, learning the game and 
learning about players. I mean, there's a, it's a gap, right? When you have young kids and uh, you miss, you miss out on a lot and of the rest of your life. I mean, you're doing great things with your family, but there are these parts of your life that kind of take a vacation. So um, that's been the, one of the special things for me is, is getting to get back in touch with, with the sport. I love it. Um, I really enjoy it. And now that my kids are getting to that age, especially my oldest, um, I, I'm turning the games on again on the weekends when when nobody's watching a movie or something. I just turn the games on and let them play, and we kind of come together and talk about it for maybe, even if it's just two or three minutes, um, that's really nice for me. It's a way to connect with my kids. So, yeah, I think getting involved in fantasy is it's, it's, it's brought me back to the game, and it's also given me a broader perspective on the game. So I am watching a, a lot more than I had before. I'm looking at prospects. I never really watched prospects before, so that's fun. And as you know, I'm a finance guy, so I like data, and it's I'm getting deeper into the numbers, uh, which I enjoy. So I, I think there are a lot of aspects to fantasy ownership that are reconnecting me and connecting me to the game in ways that I hadn't been before, if, that's, if that makes sense. It does. And I did, I did share with the gentleman on this call about the first column on your spreadsheet because I, I got a peek at it because you used it to kind of track the draft for me uh, while we were doing the draft. And again, I thank you very much for that. But it is true, right, that you look at the average age of your roster and you actually have an expectation of that number moving. Yeah, moving down. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I kind of came in and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I think it was like three seasons ago. And I, I just started drafting and picking players and I was going after points, projections, whatever. And I, I kind of had a moment a few years ago where I was, I was thinking, what is my strategy? What, I, I feel like I'm a business that's kind of opening the doors each day, but I didn't know what my long-term strategic objectives were. So I, I thought, well, number one, my strategy is to build and build for the long haul because I, I think this, this group is fantastic that, that the, the league is – I love the league. It's, I like the guys. I like the way people come to the games. Um, and I like what we're doing. I, I really enjoy it. So I said, you know, I want to play long haul. I want to build. So I really, I, I know it's artificial to go after just young players, but it was, it was kind of a discipline that I built into my strategy is, Hey, I want to start, I want to get, I want to drive my, my age down. So I knew I was running, you know, 29 to 32 years old on the roster. And I wanted to get that down, down, down. So I've been kind of slowly, if it hasn't been totally um i didn't want to demolish my team but i wanted to every opportunity if it if there was a, a flip of a coin i wanted age to be the the factor the, deci the the deciding factor so yes i have probably erred to um drafting and picking younger guys just so that i i'm building something that um, i think has a lot of downstream potential clearly what drove you to steal judge from me in his 11 home runs in April that, that, you know, must be, I'm pretty, I'm pretty transparent. Like it's getting pretty obvious. Now, if you're going to throw a trade at me, if you got somebody over 28, I'm probably going to walk away. <laughs> so, sounds like my dating philosophy. <laughs> the, uh, the interesting thing is obviously if you're able to keep doing that, um, you know, some of you guys are, haven't been in the league, long enough, quite honestly, to, to experience this yet. Um, one of the things that we had to adjust to going from a year-to-year -year fantasy league to, to the dynasty league uh, is is having guys retire. 
um, is, is you know writing a guy, and, and my, I think my brother uh, holds the record for the most guys retiring off of your team. Obviously, when that happens, you just lose a player. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys. I think Joe's about to experience it here soon with uh, with his boy first, but um, you know, little by little, these guys get older, and, and um, you know they keep performing at least to a level for you to hang on to them just long enough you know lose them completely. So. Obviously, if you're able to deal everybody on your team before they hit that magic 27, then, uh, then you'll never have to worry about that. I, I love it. Yeah, so I, I always want some upside, right? I want some, when you're drafting a guy who's 32, 33, unless he's like turning on to the juice right then, and this is the juiceless league, so he better not be doing that. But unless he's like doing something funky at 32, there's not a lot of upside, upside surprise, right? I'm looking for upside surprise. And um, so I'm not finding that in the guys that, I had on my team that were 29 even or 30, 31. Um, well, I, th I think it's an interesting strategy too, given where we are in baseball in that we're, we're out of the steroid era and into whatever this is. And we were talking earlier about how, you know, the, the, these guys are, are going back to a normal human lifespan where, where they're there, there's a specific age group where they're in their prime and, you want to get the value out of them while they're in their prime, but you want to get rid of them before they're out of their prime. Uh, absolutely. Like if you, you got a guy who's 31, 32 and he's still hitting it. Like how many seasons does he have left? Is it one? Is it four? Um, and so I think there's a lot of negative surprise there to that point. If you get somebody at 31 and they're still hitting, you know, 30 home runs, how many seasons away from 10 home runs, right? Like, and mm -hmm forced retirement. So that's why I'm just trying to err on the younger side. And plus I'm also in building mode. I, I, I don't have a lot of marquee players, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to get lucky. I'm playing a little bit of, I guess you'd call it just kind of uh, playing the odds a bit, trying to find a couple of young, young Turks that are coming up and maybe aren't exciting right now, but maybe um, by the time they hit 27, 28 years old. Yeah. What I take a look at, so Ben and who, uh, uh, you know, Greg will be interested in this, I was watching the broadcast tonight, and mm -hmm. they were talking about Fred Lynn. They were saying this kid reminds <laughs> them of Fred Lynn. And and I couldn't believe it, uh, you know, but watching him play, you know, he's as handsome as Fred Lynn is. He swings the bat beautiful, ah. uh, you know, left-handed uh, batter, plays left field wonderfully, could be a center fielder if there wasn't a guy named Jackie Bradley on the team. You got Judge, who I I really had lower expectations than clearly you did, and just he has made the adjustments. You've got Bregman. So you've got some players right now. Pollock is, I think he's a little over on the other side of 30. Frazier obviously is ancient on your team. Um, and then when you look at a Greg Bird, you look at um, some of your, your minors. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Bobby Bradley, who I think could be good. You've got Raphael Devers who is supposed to be a stud. I mean, you, you're already starting that, that rebuild yet. When we look at the standings, you're, you're uh, tops in the McGuire division. And you know, the other two teams in your division are one and three. Are you, are you thinking that might change your philosophy a little bit? And you might think, well, geez, you know, I have a chance to take this, you know, I win this division. I'm going to the playoffs. That That's an outside shot for me. I think my, my team is a very high risk team. You look at my, minor roster and they are minor league players there's still a huge 
um, gap for me. I don't I don't have a, a solid second string, so I, I'm I have huge injury risk. If any of the guys that are on my starting lineup plus one or two guys on my reserves go down, I'm gonna start scoring you know 30 points a week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be out of it. So if my guys think, stay healthy, I, I have a great shot at making the playoffs. Yeah, we 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 yeah. every, every one of us say that about our team, right? But it makes sense, right? The, having a good good having good depth is a key in this league, especially without yeah. you know PEDs being in the game anymore, right? Um, so one of the things I, I, I'm gonna I open jump in real quick. To, I I just to, to, again he didn't necessarily answer that question. So so you win two more games, you're you're five and one. These guys yeah. are, are continue to lose. And, uh, and let's say, I don't know, let's say somebody smoking pathetics drop a couple more and start a fire sale. Um, at that point, you, yeah. you, you, um, you, you have the opportunity to, to fill a gap here and there with a, a 31, a 32-year-old guy that might win you the championship. At that point, do you, do you alter your strategy or you're, you're, you're locked in and, and riding it out and, and you, know, uh, uh, you know, these are the guys you're, you're going with regardless? As my father always says, keep your options open. So you're not going to pin me down, Jack. Uh, I, I do think that it's going to depend on the scenario, right? Like if I've got everybody's healthy and I'm feeling good and the Cardinals, my pitching staff's on fire and we're coming down the home stretch, I don't know. I might ride it out. Um, but if I have one or two injuries, like if Judge or Benintendi goes down or even one of my older guys, Frazier, Dozier, Pollock goes down and somebody offers a great trade in season trade, then there I'd be open to it. And I really haven't been in that position before. I feel like I, my team is just kind of bubbling up to that place where if I, if I get to the playoffs or I'm going to get to the playoffs and somebody like Greg is in that position, um, I, I might entertain. Yeah. But it, well, you know, it's, it's got to be good because I don't want to leverage the season for my next three to four years. And yeah. so it's, it's got to be a sweet deal. That's me, by the way. Scott, Scott, that's what I'm curious about. Well, and, and first of all, let me say congratulations and, and you know, good decision moving past the distraction of your wife and kids so you can focus on fantasy sports because that's what really what we're talking <laughs> yeah, about. Let's get our priorities straight, right? I, I applaud you. Believe me, I applaud you for that. Um, that's going to last but, for about 10 more minutes, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, between pushing all your chips into the center of the table and, and kind of sticking to your plan – you think that there's a middle ground because I'll tell you, Scott, when you hear the, our initial episodes, I, I really took your team's inventory in kind of a harsh way for some of the reasons that you're saying now. I mean, you have some uh, lack of lack of depth and, and some guys who are really playing above maybe what we expected them to do. But um, looking at your roster, though, the way they're performing today and your division situation, it seems as if there might be a path to take that doesn't mortgage your future, but says, hey, you know what, I'll, I'll make some trades, I'll acquire a player or two, or I'll acquire some players who aren't exactly thrilling, but would be good injury depth. Uh, is that something that you're thinking about? I think my my position on that is I kind of am in a wait and see mode, because now I just had a couple of injuries this week, and I don't think they're season disruptive necessarily, but um, as we move through the next, I think the next few weeks for me are going to be critical. So if I, I need to see how it's going to play. And then mm -hmm. to your point, if I've got a shot at playoffs, shot at the money, and I'm scoring 55 plus points consistently, I might need to buy some protection mm -hmm. and some opportunity. Yeah. 
And, and again, it's gonna. I've got a couple of guys that I kind of want to target as my franchise players versus, hey, these are great prospects that are really going to do well. Um, so I got a couple guys that I probably want to protect, and it would take a lot for me to release them. Um, so, Scotty, um, we just peppered you with a bunch of questions. Thank you for yeah. answering those questions. Let's turn around. What do you want to ask these these owners, or what would you like to talk about? I know you only have a few more minutes left. So uh, what do you want to do with those last few minutes? Oh, so great opportunity. I didn't even know I was going to get a chance. I thought I was getting interviewed. I didn't know I'd get a chance to re to turn the tables. A uh, couple questions definitely come to mind. Um, number one, how do you guys feel since you've expanded? I, I think Eldon joined with me. Um, what did, what's your outlook on that? From a, you know, is that going to happen again? Are you are you are you happy with where things are? Sorry for the. That's totally phone fine. Call. That's that's called live radio right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, what's your outlook like? What's your what's your um, take on you know the addition of the two teams, uh, and what do, you, what do you see in the future? My take is it's awesome. It's we we've got so much parity right now. This the past couple of seasons have been so much fun because I can't predict where it's going to go. I love it the way it is. I. You know, you expand a little more, it's only going to make it harder to find players. Right. That may not necessarily be a bad thing, but I, I, I'm really enjoying where we're at right now. That's awesome. Tim and I, um, you know, again, being from the, the original crew, we, we, you know, played when there were, um, you know, eight teams. Shoot, we made a, we played league seasons where there were less than eight. Um, so, you know, we've always talked about, um, and, you know, we've done well, which probably has something to do with it. Um, we like to challenge uh, ourselves. So we've always talked about the, the idea of, of continuing expansion. Uh, we have discussed the possibility of, of going 12. Um, I like the idea of pulling in the uh, the extra guys, the, the guys that are just on the, the bubble, the, the Dexter Fowlers of the world, if you will. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's uh, – um, I'm all for it. Um, there's, there's obviously at, at some point there's, there's, you, know, you would think there would be a, a stopping point. Um, but again, I, I, you know, I think with the minds that are in this league now, um, and you know, uh, Tim has done a, a phenomenal job, you know, uh, uh, recruiting, uh, uh, discussing, allow whatever the, the guys that he's brought in, you guys have been uh, phenomenal. Um, I, I think we all could afford to, to lose a quarter of our teams and, and still have, uh, you know, a, a fun competitive situation. So uh, I'd be interested to see how far you could, you know, expand the, the, the league and, and, and everybody still enjoy it and uh, still have, you know, enough of those guys to get behind it, you know, and definitely make those, uh, um, those franchise players even, you know, even that much more important. You know what I mean? Well, I think to Jack's point, the the quality of the people that have been brought into the league, from Greg to to you, Scott, and to Dusty and Eldon, is has just been great, and it's made it so much more fun. Yeah, you know, my my only final thought is with ten teams in the league, it, it's not uh, it's not difficult to have a entire roster of players who are starters. You know what I mean? Who you know they're going to play five to seven days a week on their teams, but you start to get to 12 and 14 teams and then we have to start to analyze the value of the, you know, the stronger sides of platoon partnerships and things like that. And are those players uh, that might only play four games a week, 
are those going to be the players that make a difference? Because suddenly we don't always have enough players who are going to you know, be assured of, of starting positions on our bench, at least, you know, we might still have enough on our starting lineups week in and week out that are, are constant starters, but, you know, might I have to start to choose to put in a replacement knowing that he's only going to play two of the next four games. Or, or yeah. a microcosm, you see that with catchers already. I was just going to say that. Sure. I've been looking for a backup catcher, and I can't find one. It's oh, man. You Matt Leaders one, is available. Pick one, <laughs> pick one up at the corner. Yeah, yeah exactly. Man. Catchers are, are so bad this year. It's not even fun. In fact, I, I think the guy I'm using has 50 at-bats right now and is fifth in, uh, in catchers. It's it's become a uh, a, a trash heap. Uh, yeah, the, uh, they're going to uh, start playing three catchers on each team pretty soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one thing this league has always done is is grown with the owners, with the adaptation, with the um, the expansion, and it, and it's changed the way we played. Um, you know, we didn't have as many minors, we didn't have as many reserves, so on and so forth. Uh, so maybe the the you know the league changes at that point. Maybe now you you know you you end up with an 18 or a 20 team league, but um, you have a, a, a daily lineup, um, you know, the opportunity to alter your lineup throughout the week. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways that you can kind of move with it and still uh, and still make it. Um, you know. But that's a great point, Jack. I mean, we so when we think about the evolution of the league and I, I forget, I mean, it's two and a half decades. Right. So we we have constantly evolved. Now we do it slowly we don't we don't kind of herky jerky i think the biggest move was to go to dynasty but the expansion of the minors the um you know keeping with the pitching staffs but we've talked about do we go with individual pitchers we've talked about uh one of the ideas out there uh was to go to 12 teams like jack said it would balance our divisions out so we thought about that as well we thought about um having two games a week instead of one game a week so you instead of 19 right you have uh, 38 games a season and that that may change strategy. So I, I think that uh, one of the benefits of this league is that we have been willing to evolve. And I think that was a great point, Jack. I've never really thought of it that way. I, I always think about our conversations about it, but that we slowly kind of move and evolve. And part of that is the, what we think should be happening with league. And then the other part is kind of the league has evolved with as the play has changed. I'm trying to think some of the rules we had to put in or some of the guidelines we had to put in based on some of the weird things that just come up with baseball. Yep. Absolutely. We talked about, I think we need to, yeah, I think we need winter meetings in Vegas so we can talk about it. <laughs> um, Scott, I have one more question for you. If uh, I don't know how much more time you have on here, but um, how do you, and, and I mentioned the fact that I knew he wasn't doing very well up until that game. But how do you bench a guy that got you 31 points on, on the last day of the week? The, the, the Anthony Rendon. I'm playing the numbers, right? I'm playing a hardcore numbers game. And sometimes you got to make, you, you got to stick with the model, right? And he was hot. Like he had a crappy week, I think, the week before. And then he had like the amazing game on was it Saturday or Sunday? Was it Sunday game? The twenty three run game with the yeah. Nats? Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, he's just as well gonna go flat for three days. So I I'm just playing the numbers. I am you know, I don't have time to go deep all the time. So oh, there goes one of my guys. Um I, I don't have time to go deep every week on who's gonna do what. So I do I I use the projections. I mean, I think about 
you know, how many teams are playing and what's projected. And um, a blip is just a blip until it's a trend. I'm not going to be married to Rendon. Well, Scott, I can't stress this point uh, strongly enough. And if nothing else, please take take this away from your time here today. Matt Wieters is on your favorite National League team, and that's undisputed. You only have one National League team that you love, and it's the Nationals. Didn't he go from the, the Orioles to the Nationals? He did. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. guy's collecting moss on my bench. I got to hear his age. I don't even know how old Wieters is anymore. He's 30. He's a young 30, though. He's ancient. Catcher, a 30-year-old catcher is like 39, Scott. Yeah, but there's no other options. That's what, that's what it means to be a catcher in this league. So. <laughs> no Wieters for me. Thank you. No, this it's you know we 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 did our preseason and I think for everybody when we did our preseason prediction we 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 knew hey this is a team that is rebuilding I don't think what we what we saw was some of your guys hitting so fast and really putting the points up and then you you, you may have kind of fallen on that beautiful mix of young uh, young players on the rise like you said surprising you on the upside I love how you said that and then some of the veteran players really just playing to baseline right not surprising you on the downside and you know that's pretty exciting when you really think about you know what the possibilities are um you know for you yeah yes i, I mean i've got seen these guys that i wasn't even expecting like real muto my catcher he's been scoring points Love travis him. shaw is crushing it at first base or has been a few weeks and so i'm getting uh production from guys i wasn't expecting a lot of production from so i'm I am going with them where I where I can. These guys um, these guys beat you up pretty good, Scotty. I I, I, I like your team from the guy. I'm a big fan of Romuto. I love the Jers, the uh, Dozier and Frazier boys. And yes. uh, and I've went on, on record saying that I thought Owings uh, as the last pick of the draft was probably uh, one that we would remember at some point. So um, I think I, I think you're, you're just fine. I think uh, thank you. Like I said, if if anything, maybe you should call uh, you should call Greg. Hey, hey, just so you know, Matt Wieters is the number one catcher year to date. Fun. So yeah. number one, he is really? yep, fourteen point eight <laughs> points in the yeah. uh, and then and then LJ right, Funk and Punks have the next two Perez and Hedges. Yeah, fourteen point eight is fourteen point eight more than I get, and and I don't play it. The, the difference between best catcher and the Worst catcher is not very big this year. <laughs> no. You know, you got generally you got a couple of guys that keep uh, you know keep the position uh, respectable at least, and 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 it, you know it's been the same two guys for the most part uh, in that position for the last few years, and and really both of them have dropped off. I mean, Posey's hitting the ball but no pop, and uh, I don't know what the happened you know what happened to uh, to Lacroix down there, but uh, but he's having a hell of a time as well. So all of a sudden. Uh, you know, a weak position with a couple of studs have just become a weak position, at least for the moment. Positive regression to the mean. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, so uh, last question, Scotty. Do yeah. the Nationals or the Capitals win the championship first? Which one? Caps, baby. You think they're ah. going to do it this year? I hate the Pens. Come on. The Flyers of the Pens, the dreaded Pittsburgh Pirates and oh, God. the Bruins are going to sneak into their clubhouse and break all their sticks, so you don't have to worry about the Capitals. Are you a Bruins fan? I am. Oh. <laughs> Bless your heart. No, Caps. I don't know why. And that's not the worst thing we've learned about Joe this evening. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Good thing we weren't recording that one. Rossburg State, baby. So, Scotty, I thank you very much yeah. for. I know we pushed into uh, uh, bedtime for your youngest, and I really appreciate you being a part of this. Had a lot of fun. If you ever want to come back on again, let me know. I really enjoyed this, and uh, certainly enjoyed learning more about the strategy for your team. And you know, I know the guys loved hearing from you and being a part of it. And um, you know, we'll talk to you soon. And 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 uh, you know, I, I don't want to say best of luck to you this week, but you know. Come on, man. That that would be really big of you to say that. Thank you guys for having me on. I really am uh, proud to be a part of this league and appreciate uh, the league and the camaraderie and the support from everyone. It's just a, a great ride. And thank you. Just thank you from the bottom of my heart. Really appreciate it. You're awesome, nice Scotty. Oh, man. Enjoy it. Yeah. Love you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. Right. Please tell your family. Say hello. Gentlemen. All right. I will. Thanks, everybody. Bye, Scotty. I Last night took a L, but tonight I bounce back. Wake up every morning, by the night I count stacks. Knew that ass was real when I hit it, bounce back. You ain't getting checks. Last night took a L, but tonight I bounce back. Boy, I've been broke as hell, cast a check and bounce back. D Town LAX, every week I bounce back. If you a real one, then you know how to bounce back. Don't know nobody, oh nobody. Always on the fucking job. I got no hobbies. Got the city fucking with me, cause I'm homegrown. Vibing out more than my phone. No, leave me alone. Me on my own. So, real interesting week in the major leagues. And uh, Jack, what do you think? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the MLB standings right now. Some of it we expected, some of it we didn't expect. What are you seeing? Um, I mean, again, it's early. Um, as usual, it is early. The um, I, I got to be honest with you, one of the most, uh, one of the biggest surprises for me is uh, my 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 Phillies hanging in there around 500 at this point. I, I believe we're in second place right now. That's right. Um, and then, in that division, that's not saying much. The things you're looking for at this point, as far as fantasy um, goes, is um, the, the teams that are that are making the uh, the big run, the big breakout uh, to start, and the teams that are starting slow. Um, the real impacts, if you will, at all, are going to be uh, later in the season. Again, if uh, for instance Kansas City and in, in seven and sixteen to start the season, uh, we all know, or at least two of us know. Uh, that uh, that Kansas City has uh, has done a pretty good job in uh, in rounding up prospects. So um, they continue losing. All of a sudden, you're going to start seeing some of those kids a little earlier than you may have. Um, on the flip side of the coin, um, you got the the Nationals, and I just mentioned when, if the Phillies are in second place, uh, that means you're uh, that's there's three other teams behind them. Uh, so the Nationals have a five game lead already in that division. Uh, again, that keeps up, and, and they're able to pull away at that pace. Um, you know, are you going to see the the Harpers and 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 the, the even the Turners um, uh, sitting more as the season goes on? When we're playing our playoffs and our championships, are you going to see the uh, you know those powerhouses resting because they're up by 24, 25 games with? Uh, so those I hope are the, the hell things. Not. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> those are the. Um, you know, San Francisco nine and seventeen. Again, they they continue down that track. It, you know, we're gonna see Posey. You know, taking more days off, resting for next year, and come back and try it again. Um, you know, Toronto is another one. I, I have Batista. Uh, you know, and and as it is 
Um, you know, I'm not I'm not happy with him when he's in the game right now. So all of a sudden he starts getting an extra day off here and there. So like I said, it's early in the year, but um, you know, these are the things that if the trends continue that you do can start concerning yourself with as we you know creep up on our playoffs. You know, it's interesting. I think that uh, one of the impacts that we're seeing on the standings, even like the National League East, is uh, injuries. Uh, you know, the Mets are getting just crucified in many different media outlets for what is rightly or wrongly being perceived as their inability to manage their players' injuries effectively. You know, for me, I had Cespedes, and he was on a nice little tear, um, but then he had some hamstring issues. Uh, what I've read is that the Mets rushed him back too early. And then today... I found out about Syndergaard going down for an indeterminate amount of time, you know, and the article that I read uh, included some commentary from John Smoltz in terms of um, how injuries uh, are, are being proliferated now because of um, just, just the, the mentality that a Syndergaard type of player has. You know, these guys are phenomenal athletes, better athletes at any time in our uh, sporting history, but you know they did a uh, a pitch analysis of Syndergaard's average speed of all of his different uh, his fastballs and his off-speed stuff. And um, Smoltz was saying that he is inarguably the hardest throwing pitcher in Major League Baseball history, based upon his average velocity of all of his arsenal of pitches. And what Smoltz's point was, and I thought it was really interesting, was that um, you know these players. They're such great athletes. They don't know how to take it easy. They don't know how to pace themselves. And they're just, you know, throwing, uh, you know, going hard all the time and not really understanding the, the dynamics necessary to maintain their physical conditioning over the course of a season. And I found that to be an interesting um, thought when I hadn't really thought of it, and especially in light of our conversation last week with Dusty. And it's there's also the the idea that they're they're these elite athletes, and they have a certain mentality. There there was a story I was watching the the Cubs and the Red Sox play last night, and they were talking about uh, Syndergaard specifically and how he had refused to get an MRI after he had lat pain in his last outing, and how that might be related to what happened to him last night. And and so you you have these guys that that I, I guess that was sort of what we were talking with Dusty about is the passion for the game and you know you you spoke about walking around on a broken ankle because you didn't want to you didn't want to tell your your coach that no you're wrong that, that yeah. this is more serious than you thought and you you don't want to come out of the game I guess is what I'm getting at but but, but, but thanks Greg so Jack we're not going to name the team or the league. But as a GM, were there certain players that it was important to keep them happy or to, to, to have them believe that you as, as a leader in the organization or the organization respected them enough that you weren't going to make them get that MRI? Or do you think that that is just, you know, bullshit and just really covering up for the fact that, you know, a professional league should have a doctor staff or a medical staff that that looks beyond just uh, the personalities. Um, I, I feel like that does come into play. I mean, it, you know, there's definitely different, uh, 
levels of performer um, in uh, in Major League Baseball, and and yeah, there are there's levels where the tables can turn a little bit, um, where uh, the uh, um, the inmates run the asylum, if you will. So there there you know there are certain guys, you know the the um, you know some of it, and sometimes it, it, it's the team itself and the team's situation. Um, you know, in the the Mets scenario, they're just as desperate to get him out there and and hopefully doing what he does and getting them back in action as he probably is as well. So, um, you know, is it is it because he's above and beyond? And it, I, I don't know that that's the case. Maybe the combination of the two. Um, you know, the Mets are uh, uh, five games up at this point where the Nationals are. Then maybe they take a different aspect on it. Maybe they treat it a little bit differently. Um, so maybe it's the, the combination of, of the two situations. You know, but I think the I, guys, I agree with you, and I think those are all points well taken. But the thing that Smoltz was saying that really started me thinking was it's not even the reaction to injury and the management exclusively of injury or pushing beyond or you know disregarding uh, bumps and bruises. It's the healthy athletes who, because of their high level of conditioning, um, aren't necessarily. Um, acting in a proactive, responsible way to avoid injury. And then it got me thinking about that even more. And, you know, Joe, you mentioned these guys are elite athletes, and they are. But the other thing that they are is that they are young people. And, you know, gosh, not to start digressing about when I was a kid, but, you know. <laughs> we aren't, right? But, Let's just face right. it, right? No, that's true. We're not. You know, and here, here's the analogy I use, guys. I have a Fitbit, Right. And I, one of my brothers and I have this Fitbit walking steps competition. And uh, it matters to me, as ridiculous as it sounds. And he's on a different, uh, different time zone than me. And if I see him pulling ahead of me in terms of his steps for the day, I dress my ass and I go outside and I walk the streets until I can beat him. And so when I think about how that applies to his cinder guard, you know, when you're, you know, when you're seeing your average pitch velocity for every pitch, you know, when you see on the scoreboard how hard you're throwing and that is being uh, reinforced and you're wanting to know how many Twitter followers you have and you're wanting to know how many likes on your Facebook every post gets, does that, um, does this constant and uh, influx of information about the minutia of what you're doing, does that uh, for a less mature athlete weigh on him you know Smoltz was saying that Verlander or Nolan Ryan or Smoltz himself they weren't uh, bombarded with kind of that uh, constant influx of information that led them to to um, to maybe throw as hard as they had they could on every single pitch it wasn't as in their face and a young guy who is testing his limits may not have the maturity to to hold back when when that would be the smarter move well, I think back to playing basketball uh, outside the phone room, Jack, right? You know, and we were, there we were in our young to mid-20s. And, you know, if, if, if you pulled something, tweaked something, whatever, you just, you ran through it. There was no way you were going to sit down. You weren't going to let those other guys think that they had something on you. That just wasn't going to happen. And I never really thought of that until you said it, Greg. And like, you know, you're, you're 24, 25 years old. Physically, you're mature, but you know you were talking about a couple of weeks ago making changes to what you ate, 
based on your desire to run and to treat your body well. And it was, it was a well thought out wise choice. But when I was 25, and there is one person on this call that knows me when I was 25, I wasn't making the best decisions. I was making some pretty shitty decisions, right? Because I was 25. I, I really wasn't uh, mentally able to understand what it meant to be mortal, what it meant to be you know, smart about what I was doing. No, that's, yeah. that's a very valid point. And again, Greg, uh, you know, I, I think this kind of goes back to the, the conversation we had earlier about the, the youth movement and, and, you know, guys coming in. So, so you have this, this combination, right. Of, um, like you mentioned this, um, uh, hearing more about what you're doing than ever before in sports. Yes. Nolan Ryan would go out there and thousands of people would cheer for him while he pitched. And then he would finish pitching and then he would maybe read it in the paper, maybe see a little sports center. And that's the end of it. They're, they didn't have the Twitter, the, the, the social media, so on and so forth. So you combine that with the fact that, um, you know, again, back, back in the day, there was this, you know, standard path to the major leagues. And, uh, you know, if you were 23, you didn't play in the major leagues. You, you, you went to minors, you, you, you know, got past a lot of this stuff, um, you know, in the minors. But now all of a sudden these guys, again, you have the combination of, uh, of this influx of, of information combined with the fact that, that you got 23, 24, 25 year old guys out there making millions of dollars. Um, you know, like you said, you know, uh, uh, breaking records and, and so on and so forth. So I, you know, it is a, it is a, you know, is the mindset different than it was back in the day? Well, of course it is. It always will be. It, it you know, it was in the eighties from, you know, the, uh, sixties and it was in the, uh, the, the two thousands from the eighties and so on and so forth. Um, at, at some point, you know, is, is there a wall that these guys are going to start hitting because of it? That's a very, very good point. It's very possible, you know, as you continue to bring these guys up younger and younger and, uh, and, and, and give them the, uh, you know, the fireworks earlier and, and earlier. Um, I, I can definitely, I, I, for one, I mean, Tim's right. I, you know, I, I've continued to play a, a street lot basketball game with a twisted up knee that I probably should have had ice on or, or, or probably been on damn crutches. Uh, but instead I'm limping around trying to hit threes cause you know, my girlfriend's over in the corner watching the damn game. So, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it is a, it's a real thing. And uh, the younger you are, the, the, um, the more it, it does come into play. There's no doubt about it. Well, yeah, and your motivation, Jack, it was real, and it was your girlfriend watching you, and it was your pride. You know, these guys, you know, it's not beat writers writing newspaper articles about these guys. There are networks, entire television networks, multiple networks, satellite radio networks, guys like us talking on the Internet about what these guys do day in and day out. So a Nolan Ryan gets out on the mound on June 18, 1978, and he's not feeling himself, you know, he might know and, and be able to say, you know, I'm going to hold back today. Right. I'll get through today's game. I'll use some guile. I'll get back. But ultimately, you know, I'm not going to be humil humiliated on national television if I don't uh, if I don't strike out 10 guys today. But the center guards of the world, like Garrett Cole on the Pirates, another great example of a guy who doesn't seem quite in control of his emotions and overthrows a lot. You know, you think about the flame-throwing relievers, you know, the Eric Gagne's who, who come and they go, and, you know, Chapman, when, how long before he blows out his arm? And it, it just the Lee Smiths of the back in the day, they were intimidating, and they threw hard. 
but were they throwing every single game, every pitch to their maximum effort? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I forget that, you know, because for, you know, the first 15 years of my life, I just looked up to these guys that played baseball as almost godlike. I mean, I really, they they had a, a space in my mind and in my heart that was way outsized to, to them being actually being human beings. And um, I don't know that I've ever fully let that go. And I look and, and realize, hey, sometimes they're just kids. They're just kids, you know, 20, 22, 24, 25 years old. Um, and let's forget about all the stuff going on off the field. Uh, but just, you know, on the field, what that must be like. And then I think the other thing is to have my own identity and my own ego so wrapped up in my physical ability. And then to have that physical ability taken away, I think would be incredibly difficult. Uh, and, um, you know, I, you know, my, my oldest son is plays uh, a sport at a very high level. He's going to play it at college at a college level for a great program. And so much of his ego is wrapped up in his ability to perform and um, tweaked his ACL has to wear a brace and hates the fact just, just is trying to will himself to get healthier. And I'm telling him, you know, he's 17 years old. Look, man, you can't, you can't heal uh, an interior crucial ligament uh, faster. Uh, You know, the only thing you do is protect it and uh, treat yourself well and maybe stop at McDonald's, uh, you know, a, a couple few times less this week to, you know, treat your body well. But, you know, I have to kind of bring myself back to that. Uh, and, well, and think, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yep. No, go ahead. Well, th- think about the messages, though, that are sent to athletes who do try to be responsible with their own injury and pain management. You know, Matt Harvey and Steven Strasburg both come to mind. You know, Harvey was given endless amounts of shit about, you know, his belief that maybe he should be on a, you know, a, a pitch count or, or he shouldn't, you know, he shouldn't be limited. Uh, Strasburg coming off of uh, a surgery year and, and the, the, the Nationals were going to limit his pitches and, you know, they were lambasted for that. And so th- there's this kind of weird inconsistency among the public and among fans about, you know, uh, these guys are making millions of dollars. They should be pushing themselves. There's a limited window to win. And you combine that with kind of that natural exuberance of youth, call it that or call it uh, testosterone-fueled stupidity, depending on how nice you want to be about it. Um, it's it's almost no wonder that these younger players are are, uh, are, are running afoul of their own bodies and, and, um, and getting injured. I don't think it's ever been any different. I, th- I think it's just more magnified now because you have a you have multiple television stations with 24-hour news cycles reporting every little last piece of information. Uh, uh, Baumgartner gets hurt doing something stupid, and it's national news. You know, years ago that would have been right. Oh, he slipped and fell. Gee, that's too bad. But we know what happened now. And, you know, he was man enough to come and say, well, maybe that was a, a stupid decision on my part. But you know, we, we expect these people to do nothing but their job all day long when none of us do that. And and it's only because they make a lot of money and, and they play for a certain set of colors that we like. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think another contributing factor to, to that may be, um, you know, uh, uh, free agency, um, you know, changing the game a little bit as well. Again, 
you know, we're talking about Nolan Ryan and, and, you know, back when Nolan Ryan was pitching, uh, you know, I was a Phillies fan too. And, uh, um, you know, Mike Schmidt was my hero. How could he not be? And, uh, you know, that guy started with the Phillies. He dominated with the Phillies. He won a World Series with the Phillies. And then he finished with the Phillies. Um, that doesn't happen a lot anymore. So, uh, you know, so not so from the, the team's aspect, you, you um, your loyalty to a guy, do you, do you expect to, to have Andrew Benedetti to, to, till, you know, till he retires? Uh, or are you going to ride him hard for a few years, get a championship out of him, and then uh, and then sell him to you know let the Yankees pay him? Um, you know it's um, and then from the player standpoint, uh, you know, am I going to be a Red Sox for the rest of my life, or, or do I really need to push uh, above and beyond right now because there's more money out there and there's you know more opportunity uh, out there than uh, than you know than, again back in the day. Um, so that, you know, that may be a, a, a factor in the, the whole mindset on both sides of the ball as well. It's, it's kind of like actually looking at your major league team in the same way that we look at our fantasy teams, right? Almost. That, yeah. Almost. To your point where, you know, there's a, there's an amount of utility that I'm going to get. I mean, honestly, if, if you, if Scott Hill was running a major league team and said what he said, right? I want to be surprised on the upside, not on the downside. It's very clear. I'm a numbers guy. This is where I'm going for. And you bring in a really interesting point is that there's incentives for the team to get the maximum utility out of that player. And there's actual incentives for the player to get maximum utility out of that team. And both of those things typically mean that, whoops, typically mean that you're, you're going to play uh, even when you're injured. Uh, you don't, yeah, you do not want to get the tag soft, right? That's going to cost you money. Um, on the other hand, uh, if you're smart about it and you know, hey, I'm going to be playing for, or I want to be playing for 15 years, that's how I'm going to max my money out as an athlete, you're going to have to take the step that Matt Harvey did. And that's where, you know, Greg, I think the, the machismo came out, right? And, and from all of us, uh, you know, I, I find myself thinking, much like your soccer coach, Greg, walk it off, right? Um, and, it, you know, in reality, it's kind of foolish because we know so much more about the human body. We know so much more about what's going on that it's probably better uh, to, to kind of baby those athletes. Yet, if I'm only going to have that athlete, Ben and Tenney is a perfect example. We have him for, for what, five years. And then he's going to, pro- if he continues on, he's going to make a ton of money. And I'll give you a good example, Tim. Would you rather, at the end of at the end of your life, looking back, would you rather have been Dustin Pedroia or Johnny Damon? Uh, Johnny Damon. Why? Because I made more money. And, and yeah, and- but Dustin, but but did you? Because at the end of your life, at the end of Dustin Pedroia's life, he's going to have made a ton of money in Boston, no matter what he does. And Johnny Damon won't have made that amount of money. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, would I have wanted to play for the same team for my entire life? Yeah. Not even just that. It's it's just, you know, Dustin Pedroia is going to go down in history as one of the, he, he's going to have his number on that wall someday. Johnny Damon will just be a mercenary that they hired that got them where they were. And, and, you know, it, it was their most important World Series championship in my lifetime. I, you know what? But I, but I understand Dustin, that. I would rather be Dustin Pedroia. I, I he gave his all. I, I, um, 
I hear you. And I wish I'd answered Dustin Pedroia because I know why you were asking. However, my answer would still be to go for the money because I can't tell you how many times I hear I, I sign a friendly, contra- a friendly contract to the team and I have a down year and suddenly I am actually more marketable to move. You're, so, uh, you're talking about Andrew McCutcheon. Now. McCutcheon is a perfect example of that. And, you know, in, in the heat of the romance, right, it seems good. But in the long run, um, you know, excluding maybe you feel comfortable at the ballpark or maybe you have family that's from that area, uh, even then, you know, you, you only have so many years to make money off the, the bones, the, you know, the muscles, the, the sinew in, in your body. And I, I actually think that our conversation on free agency last week, this is actually a deeper look at the, the impacts of free agency. I mean, the players don't live in town. I mean, Pedroia actually does live, um, you know, uh, less than a mile from Fenway Park. That's highly unusual. That's the ex- the the exception that proves the rule. Well, he's got to get down there in the middle of the night and eat dirt every once in a while too. So, <laughs> but it's, I, it's I, become you know, it's become more of a um, there's there's your you just have almost no choice but to be more of a fan of the team and and less of a fan of the players and um, you know to the the you know to invest uh, your your loyalty or your, you know, to, to, to buy the Jersey to so on and so forth. And then, you know, the, the next year, all of a sudden the guys, uh, you know, not only not on your team, but, but still in your division. Um, you know, it, uh, um, like I said, I, I, you know, not to, to, to jump sports, but I, I, I personally first, um, noticed it or, or, or experienced it. And I, when I look back, it was, um, it was actually Charles Barkley, um, leaving Philadelphia. And uh, again, I was a, a, a you know a Philly guy. I was a Sixers fan. Obviously, Barkley was terrible, my man. Terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> I had I was so <coughs> in love with, with Charles Barkley. I was such a fan of Charles Barkley that that following season, I literally followed the Phoenix Suns more than I did my Sixers um, because my guy was gone. He 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 was gone. And, um, and, uh, it, it felt weird. It felt bad. It, it felt naughty. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then Phoenix went to, to the damn championship, which made it even worse. Then I felt like a bandwagoner. And, um, but, um, it, it just, uh, uh, you know, that was the, the first time that I really, you know, realized and noticed, you know, yes. Did we, you know, rent Pete Rose for a little while and, and, uh, and, and what a champion. Sure. You know, yeah, there's, there's obviously going to be, you know, guys coming and going on a, on a regular basis, but, it's fucking Barkley. Like what, what it, it's, uh, you know, um, so that to me, I, I, uh, from that point on, um, I, I, uh, slowly and, and steadily became more of a, uh, again, a fan of the teams, uh, that I am the players. Uh, you know, that's, I, that's also why it's easier to criticize players now too, because you yeah. don't have that feeling of loyalty to them. Right. Oh, and that's why I said at the end of the day, I would rather have Pedroia's career, no matter, you know, whether he's just, eaten up now and is only going to play 80 games a year because he's always going to be hurt or, or anything. I, I I know that he's given my team everything that he can. I but agree. Jack, the conversation has definitely t- taken a little bit of a turn, but I, I, I'm the same way. I would have said the same thing about my boy Chase two years ago, and uh, and now he's, uh, you know, out West kicking it in, uh, in L.A. So, um, you know, do I peek in on him every now and then? Absolutely. 
Uh, did I jump ship and follow him to L.A.? No, not anymore. I, you know, I've changed the way I look at it. Amanda did. But Jack, Jack, go on the record for me. <laughs> Were you one of those Philly fans who booed Mike Schmidt? I, no, absolutely not. No, I, I um, all the other, all the other. Um, I wonder. I wonder. You know? Yeah, all the all the other boos I uh, I understand, even though um, uh, you know some of them were uh, were less than than stellar. I probably would have been one of the guys throwing a D battery at JD Drew, though. Um, there that you go. I would have done yes. You, you know yeah. this this free agency has affected my uh, my jersey purchases, uh, you know, in a very specific way. You guys know by seeing me every week that I have. I have a bit of a Peter Pan complex and that I like to wear sports jerseys a lot. And I, I really spent a lot of time and effort uh, trying to gaze into the future of free agency to determine which jersey I'll invest in so you know that I don't buy a jersey for a player that then leaves one of my teams because I, I can't wear a jersey once that player has, uh, has left the, the Steelers, Pirates, or Penguins. Right. And so... You know, I, I have to stick to guys who I think they're going to lock up for long-term contracts or all-time franchise greats. That's what I'm That's what I'm left with. Yep, yep, all-time franchise. Or I just started putting my name on the back and choosing numbers. That way I, uh, I'm still – I spend there you go. So I've had a Deshaun Jackson uh, jersey hanging up in my closet for years. I, you know, again, not, not only did he leave, but uh, but uh, he uh, – <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yep, I still got my Schmidt ones again. Um, some of them, like I said, you can lock into. Back in the day, it was a little bit different, but um, you know, these days they're uh, they're coming and they're going quick. Um, Tim, do you own a jersey? I've never seen you wear one. I I do. It's nameless because it's my love of the team. I, there are players I love and there are players I really respect, but for me, um, you know, it was brought in. It, it, I had a person ask me. Um, this was during the football season this past year, and they said, "Would you rather have?" Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? And I said Belichick. And that, but I didn't expect to say Belichick. I, you know, he asked me the question. I, I pictured Tom Brady and I said Belichick. And, and because to me, uh, it's the system that Belichick has put in that gives us the, the, is, has given us, I believe, the success we had. Brady just was able to execute in that system to perfection. And I think had Belichick not had Brady, we may not have five. Um, we may, may not be, you know, standing eye to eye with the Steelers. However, we still would have been the greatest period of time in, in Patriots football all, all along. And when I think back, you know, I had a chance to talk to my dad. And one of the benefits of this podcast is really kind of opened my thinking to baseball in a lot of different ways. And I said, you know, I hadn't talked baseball with my father for years. And we had talked about our favorite players and Fred Lynn came up and I brought that up with my dad and, and, you know, he started to laugh and he brought up, you know, my little league playing days, tipping my hat back. And I said, um, you know, uh, you know, who was your player? Like, who did you like? Who was your hero? Who, who did you really enjoy watching? And, and he said a player I had never even heard of before, uh, you know, so we grew up in Boston he was a Red Sox player. And, you know, so for me, it was a really neat experience. And I actually got him talking about his relationship to baseball. And what I realized was that that was a neat player for him. And he went to, you know, his specific age when it was important. But then he started talking about all the other players that he had seen over the years. And, and that's when I realized, man, it was 
it was a complete love of the sport. It was his his you know his first love was embodied in this one player, but that in reality it's been the Red Sox for him for sixty five years now, almost seventy years. I'm pretty confident that you know I have an autographed picture of a Pittsburgh Pirate in my office. I'm pretty confident that nobody would. I'm I'm absolutely confident that none of you would guess which pirate that is. But I'm I'm also pretty confident that uh, at least one or two of you wouldn't even know who this person is. And he's my favorite pirate of all time. So, Bob Walk. You ever hear of Bob Walk? I've heard of him, but I would not have guessed that. Why yeah. is he Why is he your favorite? Why? Yeah. Well, for you know, I, I loved him. He was. Uh, he was a, a good pitcher, not a great pitcher, mostly a starter, sometimes long relief in uh, the era of the pirate success that is most uh, near and dear to my heart, which was the, like the early 90s. But he was the ultimate team player. You know, he started, he relieved, he had uh, seemingly no ego about what he needed to do to help the team win. And now he's also the pirate's uh, color commentator on uh, radio and television broadcast. And for my money, he's the best um, color commentator in pro sports. I just, I love the way he breaks down the game and his analysis of the game. But, you know, for those reasons, together, I love him. And then I was watching a uh, Jimmy Leland documentary last year, and they had asked Leland, uh, of all the players that he'd managed in his career, who was his favorite player? Bob Locke. That's a coincidence, right? <laughs> That's pretty cool. That is cool. I um I had I I, I expect nothing but uh, obscure from you, Greg. And um, once again, I've received that. Um, I did know Bob Walk, and um, but I still had to go back oh. and check real quick. He was uh, it was on, a Philly. He was on the nineteen eighty World Series champion. Philadelphia. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so was Schmidt your favorite player, Jack? Uh, absolutely yeah hands down um growing up it was uh yeah it was schmidt for sure um but mike schmidt um throughout most of my uh, my childhood um uh, my favorite team um was the um was the 1993 phillies um which did not win the world series thanks to joe carter and a bad decision to leave mitch williams in thinking that we were in a movie um, so, um, but that team just, um, you know, outside of the juice, um, <laughs> my boy Dystra and, uh, Kruk, you know, just fat, bearded, beer drinking, long haired, uh, Dalton banging Hooters, uh, models. I, uh, I love that squad. Um, my, my favorite experience in baseball um, I, I did get to go to uh, game one of the World Series with the Phillies and uh, and the Rays. Um, Cole Hamels was my favorite pitcher at the time. He won the game. Uh, Chase was my favorite player. He hit a home run. Um, outside of the fact that it was that in that atrocious park in Tampa, um, obviously that was an awesome experience for me. Um, but I actually got, um, I lived in South Florida, and uh, speaking of just love for the game, um, I actually bought season tickets to the Florida Marlins in 1997. Uh, one year, never had them before, never had them after. And, uh, and I got to go on a, a hell of a ride um, with, uh, with uh, watching that team go from, you know, a, a 
few thousand people in the stands when the uh, when the season started. Uh, speaking of Jimmy Leland, to uh, to a uh, a World Series championship with uh, with a bunch of um, you know half uh, half. Which, as a matter of fact, one of my <laughs> one of my favorite players of all time is Charles Johnson. Again, another mm. guy. Because sometimes you get the opportunity to to actually interact with some of these guys, and um, and that you know. Uh, uh, molds and, and and forms your opinion on them, and I I, just, I had the opportunity to and to meet a, a few of the Marlins, and um, uh, that season was was awesome. The the fire sale that came afterwards was horrible, but that season was uh, just for for a baseball experience. Uh, maybe we'll get into it uh, again sometime, but that was uh, that was a cool year. I love that, that cool. team. I love that team. And Jack, you know, on the subject of Mike Schmidt, I must confess. As you were talking about him, it made me think about I was in the stands in Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh the day uh, Schmidt hit his 500th home run. Really? Yeah, it was off Don Robinson. It was an early season game. I was 16 years old, and I was in the stands that day. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. What an awesome baseball memory. I actually, that's just phenomenal. I'm not, there's no way I can even. I'm going to let it sit there. We're going to end the podcast <laughs> on that moment, just watching that ball sail out of Three River Stadium. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. I, uh, I got one, one quick question for Greg. Um, Greg, did you use and drop Jason Worth on the same day? Was that is that, that actually happened? No, he never got into the game. No, I, I don't think, think I ever I put him. used him as a replacement. Uh, um, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I dropped him a week or two ago. And, on by Monday morning. I just I, I, it was an interesting move. Oh Thank yeah, you for maybe dropping I him. It made me feel better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Such is the state of affairs in the pathetic. <laughs> name name change forthcoming, guys. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Version three. <laughs> Beneath me, back and forth, just rephrase what they were saying over and over and doing that repeatedly. The crash, go back, just a constant thing. Every time they go back out to sea, it's like they draw a little bit more out of me. A lot of images, feelings, just to limit this relish. And I began to reminisce freely. It was the cinema featuring me, the cast of emotions demanded my attention immediately. Now I previously put them on hold. On the back burner since earlier, I didn't want to deal with it. That time, I felt like other things were pertinent. Now I see it's permanent unless I get real with it. And it ain't that I don't love the just especially mentally, because I generally do win. Might not win at first, but definitely eventually. Cause I ain't never not been a shoe win since birth, but now it's a special though, see. It's beyond my threshold. I'm accustomed to just the conventional struggle with two opponents. Only here, tough between you and the truth. So ultimately, I'm gonna lose. Actually, I gain, though. I gotta be honest with myself, or else I impede my personal progress. I think it's better to be depressed for a minute, admit it, get reoriented, instead of being a bit of cynic, isn't it?
Getting older, everybody around me acts all sober and looking poker face. I started losing hair at the corners. Matter of fact, looked up top, that old water's just jacked. Nobody's gonna show for me anymore. Whatever this is, we all go through it, I guess. It's just all not a hundred percent comfortable with the rate that everything's developing. That it's just a little overwhelming at times. I'm dealing with hell of shit to process. It's new day to daily. It's really no preparing for this thing. Uh, maybe it's mainly just me acting strangely. It's just me facing the challenge. I doubt it though, 'cause I met thousands of people, seen something similar in their faces. It's like the outlook is changing. I think it's called being a man in the making. It's burning. I'm like pralines now. Long walk solo, I can sort my thoughts out. Just what I've been taught today doesn't gel well. The way that I've been feeling these days is coming from a ton of angles, you know, hella places. I'm really not trying to make a political statement, but just in terms of like eternally inside. Mad an interval in my life where it's a turbulent time, and I could pretend that it's all good. I shouldn't put so much on it. Let it sit and just settle itself. Stop acting all soppy and sentimental. Besides, everything's perfectly fine. But here I am on this balcony with my thoughts just traveling randomly on some tangent in the back of my mind. Keep hearing this lady with a voice is beautiful. She keeps saying.